All right, so um, I'm Ben. I'm the pastor here. I uh, lead the elder team here, and I'm going to um, take the next two weeks to talk about uh, just vision stuff for the church. This is, you know, a new year. The calendar's flipping over. You're buying, getting your, you know, your calendar for next year up on the wall, and this is the time when everybody does New Year's resolutions, which is it's just a moment where you take stock, right? And you, you kind of look back on your past year and kind of go, what, what was I up to last year and, and what do I want to change for next year? And then, you know, reduce your waistline and um, increase your bank account. That's usually the two things that we orient around. And I want to do some of that for us as a church together to just pause for a minute and before we jump back into Romans, which is where we've been uh, for a while, and just ask the question, what are we, what are we doing here? <laughs> what is it we're about? Where are, we, where are we going? And so I want to speak kind of prophetically, in a classic sense of prophetically. Uh, the prophets, especially in the Old Testament, what they did, their function was to orient the people of God around God's covenant. Are you aligned with what God is telling you to do or not? And that's how I want to talk. Just I'm not being super pastoral and teachy like normal. Um, I want to speak to you prophetically. Um, so I believe that this year is a major inflection point for Living Hope Church. Uh, inflection point is that I'm not a math guy or a geometry guy, but I understood geometry in high school better than math. All right, And in geometry, if you have a curve... The, the exact point where the curve changes direction, that's the inflection point. And so we use that word to talk about when uh, a moment of change, the exact moment where things change. And I believe that's what's coming for us this year. And um, I think that's the moment we're in as a church. So this is not for me just a refresher. This is, um, I think, our elder team is saying to us as a church, things are changing. And so I want to talk about that this week and next week. And then after the service next week is our family meeting. And we'll talk some, we have an announcement to make for that. But also we want to talk about some more details about what this might mean for us as a church. Okay. Uh, so that's why I want you to pay attention. <laughs> okay. Um, so three terms I want to define for you that I'm going to use multiple times in a very specific way. One is vision. What do I mean by that? Vision is what we aspire to, what we're shooting at. It's aspirational, meaning we're never, you're never sort of perfectly hitting that mark, but you've got to shoot at something, and so what we're shooting at is the vision. The mission would be how we're going to do it. And that's also kind of aspirational, unless you reckon yourself to be perfect, which I think you don't, all right? And then the values would be what we're like when we do it. That'll be next week. We'll talk about values, all right? So this week is vision and mission. Um, so our vision, what we aspire to, a short, easy sentence. We want to see lives transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, don't let the simplicity of that statement fool you. I know it sounds simple, but it's confrontational in its clarity. Okay, Because just think about for a minute what it does not say. <laughs> right? Uh, what it does not say, for example, is our vision is not to nurture a religious environment that you enjoy. That is not the goal. I hope you enjoy being here, but that's not the goal. That's not the mission. That's not the vision of the church. 
Our vision is not to gather people to a weekly meeting full of uplifting music and positive messages that are a safe place for you to relax and change nothing about yourself. The vision is to see lives transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. So it's not to stay the same for anybody. Nobody comes and parks here. We want to always be growing and changing into the likeness of Jesus Christ, whether you've been here for 20 years or you're not even a Christian at all. We want that transformation to happen. Positive and encouraging living hope. I'll say that sarcastically. So we're not trying to be a shining example of how a group of people can come together and put all their religious preferences in a pot, stir it up into a stew, and say, look at what a wonderful community we are. We're not supposed to be an isolated community. Community is wonderful and is important, but it is not enough by itself. You feeling at home here is not the goal. You hear that? So the simplicity of that statement does not mean it doesn't confront us with a lot of things. If we're not careful, which we're going to be careful, <laughs> but if we're not careful, Living Hope Church will become a shining example of a community that can compromise and love one another but does little to bring transformation to the lives within it or around it because we just look at ourselves and we tailor things to our preferences and not with a vision to see everyone transformed. So I want to give you a couple of scriptures here to put some meat on those bones. Okay, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, the classic Great Commission. He says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So Jesus has died, buried, and resurrected. And this, this, so this is after all of that's happened. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I love this. this. These people are looking with their own eyeballs at the risen Jesus. They saw him crucified, stuck in a tomb, and now he's standing in front of them, but some doubted. So if you're a doubter, welcome aboard. Doubt is not good, but it's normal, all right? Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So in the death and resurrection, Jesus had gathered to himself all authority. Every right that can be claimed as God, Jesus had it. And every right that could be claimed as a man, Jesus had it. We talked about that the last couple of weeks. Jesus, if whatever authority there is in the universe, in heaven or on earth, Jesus has it. And the question is, like, so he's saying no one gets to argue with Jesus anymore. Jesus is not doing the suffering servant thing anymore. He's the boss. He's the king. He's in charge. He's over everything. He holds the keys in his hand. And what will Jesus tell us to do with all that authority? Well, he tells you right here in verse 19, his first command, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's a wonderful promise. So when I say that our mission is to see lives transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ, this is what I'm referring to. Sometimes we call it discipleship or making disciples. I'm just defining that a little bit. 
you can't be a disciple and not be changed. Jesus defined it as being born again. That's pretty clear. So if, you, if you're out here crossing the street and you get hit by one of those big 18-wheeler trucks, smashed into the road, 18 wheels running right over you. And then by some miracle, you come walking in here. You don't have to tell people something just happened. You don't have to say, hey, I know it's hard to believe, but let me testify that I just got hit by a truck on the road just a moment ago. I know you can't tell, but just trust me when I tell you a meaningful and important transformative event just happened to me when I got hit by a truck. You don't have to do that. Everyone can look at you and see you look like you just got hit by a truck. And you would say, Funny you should ask, I did just get hit by a truck, right? When you encounter the risen Jesus and, be, and enter into his family and are born again, that's not just a weird, you know, Jesus movement phrase. That's a real thing, like born again. What would you look like if you were born again? You wouldn't look like you anymore. You're completely transformed. So this is what's supposed to happen to Christians when they meet Jesus. As we are changed. So what Vic alluded to when he talked about God has done great things. He prayed for a guy, and the guy changed. Shock. He changed. He was transformed into something else. This is what we're after. We're not shooting for full meetings, full rooms of people. I want full rooms of transformed people. There is a difference. We can't set the target at decisions for Christ or joining the church or attending worship or be, even being a tight-knit community. That is not the target. I want to be a tight-knit, transformed community. And that extra word is vital. So let me be really direct. I have heard far too often various statements from us that some version of, I hope we don't get too big. I like the church the size that it is. Are we becoming a mega church? <laughs> that one makes me laugh. Because I don't know if you've ever been in a mega church before. <laughs> but we're nowhere close. <laughs> okay. But I, I understand the concern, Okay. The concern is that we get too professional. It won't feel like family anymore. I won't feel at home. I won't, uh, that, that I'll just, I'll get, I'll be just a number in the crowd. First of all, you don't, this ain't a crowd, okay? But, but, but I get the concern. But my question is, who exactly would you keep outside of our church, church in order to keep it the size that you prefer? Who are you going to say to Jesus, I don't want that person or that family in my church because that's one too many people. So you see the thing that comes out of your heart, that's, I understand it and I'm sympathetic towards it, but it's gross. Okay? I'm trying to be nice, but also be a little prophetic. Let the Holy Spirit be the only limit on the size of our congregation 
not our preferences or our resistance to change. If the Holy Spirit wants to say 200 and no more, then so be it. But if he wants to say 8,000 and no more, then so be it. Let him be the limit, not me and my preferences. So that's why it's important we have a vision that's clear. The vision is to see lives transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. The vision is not to stay small and happy and comfortable. All right? I like small and happy and comfortable. Just if you won't know my preference. My preference is what we are. But that is not what the Great Commission tells us to do. Another verse that I've been meditating on for months now, I feel like every time I think about it, it's like a gnaw more meat off the bone. Colossians 1, 28 through 29, it says, just for our purposes this morning, just look for all the everyones in this verse, this short verse. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So Paul is toiling. He's spending all of his effort. This is not a casual thing. It's toil. It's hard, hard. The thing he's working the most for, he's spending his, most of his energy on, most of his effort, his zeal, his passion, he is toiling for this one thing, is proclaiming the gospel or the good news to everyone and teaching everyone with as much wisdom as he can muster with the goal or the vision of presenting everyone to Christ as mature. It's this wonderful picture of, I'm going to gather as many people on my back as I can, encouraging them to be more mature in Christ, which is just being more like Jesus. And then one day I get to see Jesus, and it's like i got all these people on my back, and I can give them to Jesus as a gift and say, look, here's, here's 10 or 2 or 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 mature disciples of you. Here's my, that's my gift to you. I'm presenting them to you. Not in a way that takes credit, but to say, this is what you wanted. This is what your heart's desire was, Jesus, and I worked, I toiled for this. It's a wonderful picture. He doesn't do it with his own power, but with the power of Christ that Christ works into Paul. It's this cooperative thing there. Christ, Paul is doing the toiling and the working and the power is in him, but it's not from him. It's through him, from Jesus, this kind of thing happening, this reciprocal thing. He's toiling, he's working, but Jesus is, it's Jesus' power, Jesus' energy that he's putting in him. Jesus isn't doing it directly by his own hand. He's doing it through Paul with Paul's hands. It's, if this is what it means to do ministry, okay? That's what the toil looks like. So who is Paul doing this for? He says everyone. I think it means everyone. <laughs> Everybody Paul sees. Every place he goes, everyone in his life, everyone that he sees and encounters or knows about, he's doing this for. This is his goal. So all of his relationships, every stranger, every friend, every person in a church, every person not in a church, his effort is in his goal is not just to be friends. His goal is to take this person and present them at the end as mature in Christ to Christ. That's his goal. 
It's not just the people in the churches that are already Christians, it's everybody. And we see this if you look at Paul's life and what he did. He kind of, he, he moved, he, he toiled for both. He toiled for the city and he toiled for the church. Everyone, everyone, everyone. So are we a church for the everyones or are we a church for us? That is the question. So what about mission? How do we accomplish this? The mission is to help people worship God, love one another, make disciples, and invite the world. This is how we're going to do that. So worship God, love one another, make disciples, invite the world. We'll talk about each one. And each one of these I really want to preach a whole sermon on, but nobody wants to hear a four-week sermon series. They want to have a two-week sermon series and get back into Romans. So that's what we're doing. I'm going to do these fast. All right? Psalm 100, 1 through 5. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Therefore... Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So worship is a grateful response. Worship is not something we do for us or to accomplish anything. Anytime you put an adjective in front of worship, it gets weird. Because worship is ultimately just a response to God, it's giving glory to God, and and we get stuff out of it. I'm not saying it's like we're like these passive, you know, givers of worship and we don't receive anything. But when you worship, you find yourself. You discover your purpose when you're worshiping God. But the point is not to discover your purpose. The point is to worship God because you're responding to him, who he is, his character, but also the things he does. If you look at any good worship song, it's going to either be about who God is or the awesome things that he does. And you go, oh, wow, you're so amazing. You're so great. Look at the stuff you've done for me and for my neighbors and for the world. You are amazing. Worship. That's what we do. It's our purpose. It's what God made us for. We are made in the image of God, which really just means even down to the, 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 the way your body and your mind and your soul and your personality was formed. Your existence is worship. You reflect who God is back to God. And when you worship him, it is what you were meant to do. It's by, you're by design. Worship is God's goal for humanity. So our worship should always be done in an atmosphere of the mission of God to make more worshipers. If you understand what God really wants of humanity is worship. It's what he made us for. That was his idea. I'm going to make people to worship me. Then when we worship, and it's really good, like if we come together on a Sunday morning, it's like, man, I just, I'm feeling the juice, man. This feels good. This feels like I'm where I need to be. This is wonderful. Singing together, I'm hearing my friends sing together to God, and I'm just enjoying his presence, and I'm enjoying worshiping him. It's like, it's like easier than breathing, because it's what I was meant to do. There should be something in your heart that says there should be more. 
Why? Because God deserves more voices. He's so good that my voice and your voice are too small to express how great he really is. And what we really need is more voices. I want to see more people. That's, the, that's, how, that's why worship is missional. It's not just about me and my voice and God. It's hey, who else? Can we, can we get the rocks to cry out? Can we get the trees to worship? Like who, how many, that picture we read last week in Revelation of this sea of creatures worshiping God, that's the goal. Not just me and my voice. So that's worship God. Number two, love one another. It's ridiculous that I'm doing this as just one point in the sermon, but I'm going to do it. John 13, 34 to 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him being, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. I love that Peter ties serving one another and loving one another to worship for God. When we love one another, it is the, it's the primary marker of the church is that we love one another so well and it's also an essential part of worship you can stand here with your hands up singing your song and feeling the vibes but if you're not loving your brother or sister then your worship is counterfeit and God's going mm, what's that smell it's not pleasant <laughs> it's an unpleasant aroma coming from cotton this morning who's grumbling about hospitality, but then wants to worship me. Those don't go together. And loving one another is the primary way the world looks and sees that we have been with Jesus. And so even the way we love one another is missional. It shows the world what God is like and what Jesus is like. Love can never be separated from self-denial. Love requires you to prefer someone else over yourself. This is the biblical idea of love. The worldly idea of love is love is about me and feeling loved. The biblical idea is love is sacrificial and about you feeling loved. What do you need? What do you want? How can I help you, serve you, love you well? That's, so love, true love, is always self-sacrificing. We are not only required to love people in this room sacrificially, but we are also required to love our neighbors in the same way. And let me tell you, that's hard. Because it's not always reciprocated. If you're trying to love your neighbor who thinks love is just about them feeling loved, and you're making them feel loved, and they're not returning the favor, what's your motivation at that point? Your motivation has to be more than you feeling loved. Your motivation has to be, I want more people to worship God. And if I can get this jerk to worship God 
and to be transformed by the love of Jesus, then that's a win, whether I ever feel loved by him or not. That's how we're called to love one another. Number three, make disciples. All right, so really don't like separating the word discipleship out as a song category. Because discipleship is everything. It's another way of stating the vision, right? Seeing people transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. That's discipleship, transformation. Um, but in order to talk about it, we got to talk about it. And it, I don't, just don't want you to think it's just a separate thing. Well, now I'm doing discipleship, but later I won't be. Right? You're always doing it, right? Discipleship is the goal, but interestingly enough, it's also how we accomplish the goal. God has a weird system. It's not a linear thing. The second you come into the family of God, you are, even if you know nothing, if all you know is John 3.16, you saw it on a sign at an NFL football game, and you read it, and you got saved, and it's all you know, all right? And now you're in. Guess what? Start making disciples. Well, I don't know anything. You know one thing, so teach that thing, all right? That's the deal. It's a weird, like, you, you come in, you become a disciple, but also the way is by being discipled and making disciples. Jesus commanded us all to make disciples, not only make converts. The work of ministry is to grow in Christ-like maturity. This involves the whole self coming into an increasing submission to Jesus. Discipleship, making disciples, is not just my job. In fact, I would argue it's less my job than your job. It's my job to help you do that. So it's actually less my job, in a sense, than it is your job. But some of y'all look at me sometimes like it's my job. And he talked to me like it's my, hey, I got this person who's got a thing. And they don't know what they're doing. Their life's a mess. What are you going to do about it, pastor? And I'm going to say, I don't know. What do you think? Right? You're a disciple maker. You're as much a disciple of Jesus Christ as I am. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. And a disciple makes disciples. Matthew 4, 18 to 20, he says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. This is Jesus. He saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. So Jesus is first, he's the first two disciples he ever called. And he states the point, the vision right up front follow me and what i'm going to do is build a ministry around you you're going to write books and do wonderful conferences and many people will come no that's not what he says he says i'm going to make you fishers of men it is the first most basic definition of following jesus is becoming a fisher of men is taking the the gifts you have he didn't use that that metaphor by accident these guys were fishermen so I'm going to take the thing you're doing and I'm going to use it to accomplish my mission in the world, which is to gather more disciples. Being a disciple of Jesus means, at the very least, 
being one who participates in making disciples. You, get, you, you got a gift. And so the question is, how are you going to use it? So that brings us to the last, number four, invite the world. All of us were created by God to change the world around us. You know, you have the Holy Spirit, and if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Think about what that means. The same Spirit that performed all the miracles and things you see in the Bible, from parting the Red Sea to walking on water, raising the dead, healing the sick, turning the world upside down with the gospel in the centuries that followed the ascension of Christ, from Pentecost till now. Every one of those events that we look on and go, wow, that's amazing. Every one of those great things that Vic Spencer mentioned this morning, every one of those, the power that did that is in you. It's not you. It's the Holy Spirit who is in you. You don't need anything else. <laughs> you literally don't need to know or have anything other than the Holy Spirit to do what he's called you to do. This is spiritual transformation, which means we cannot do this on our own. Now, you, we can improve things. We can make the world a better place. That is not the goal. The goal is transformation. That's something we can't do. I can't remake you. I can't recreate you. I can tell you, give you good advice. I can tell you in smart, wise things to do with your life to make it a little better and improve it. But what I can't do is recreate you. I don't have that power. There's only one who has the power of creation, and that's God. And so the transformation thing is something only he can do. Look at 1 Corinthians 12. 12 through 20. How do we do this? So after explaining that God has given supernatural gifts to everyone, this is what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. But if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, that's kind of a funny picture, where would, the, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I think we need a much broader, simpler definition of discipleship. Yes, I am doing discipleship right now. But that is not the only definition of discipleship. Disci making disciples is simply about you using your gift. What spiritual power has God put in you? Where is, what body part are you? And get to work being whatever that body part is. And don't just do it half-heartedly. Toil for it. Put all of your energy into it. Wh whatever you're putting into your 
ability to make money, double it for the kingdom. Let's just think of it that way. That's toil. That's hard work. So figure out, like, what gifts have God given me, and what am I doing with them? And don't say, some of y'all go, I'm just a foot. Paul, Paul has words for you right here. I just read it. Who, who are you to, to say, I'm just a foot? What, the body can't move around without a foot. Who are you to say, I'm just an ear? I'll just have this small little gift. and I don't really know about all that stuff. All I know how to do is change light bulbs or something that you think is just not important. And so you just say, you know, other people, they do the important stuff, and I'm just here, just, just put me to work. It's like weird, low self-esteem about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says to you, if you chop the foot off of the body and you throw it away, there's going to be a problem with the whole body, not just the foot. This church needs you. When you are absent and cut yourself off, it affects the entire body. And it may not be visible to you at the moment because you're just like, I'm just the foot or I'm just the ear. So this is what it means when I say invite the world. Use your gifts. Use them everywhere towards everyone in every situation. You should be using your gifts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not just for better meetings. They're not to, they're not to sprinkle some, some little, you know, some, some salt and pepper on top of the meat to make it taste marginally better. It's not to make things a little spicier, a little more interesting, to just add a little flavor. They are the way you connect and toil in the kingdom of God. It's what God has given you to do with your life. It is absolutely vital that you use your gifts with everyone, everywhere, and it is the thing you toil at and work at the most. And if you're not doing that, then the body is limping around. It's just sort of dragging. You got a leg dragging over here and a hand over here and a hand in the pocket and, and then an ear is trying to be both the ear and the eye and the nose because the nose isn't being a nose. That's the kind of situation we end up with. Jesus has equipped the church with everything she needs to present everyone mature in Christ. But no one person has everything he or she needs alone. It is only when people are in the right seat using their gifts for the purpose of seeing lives transformed that magic happens. There is a tendency in the evangelical church to think about gifting and talent and ability and resources as about you discovering yourself. It's sort of a different version of, a religious version of self-actualization. The church does not exist for all of your dreams to come true. The church exists for you to use the thing God's given you to transform the world and to bring it into the family of God so we can have a bigger band of worshipers in front of the throne of God when we all get there. That's what it's for. So don't, don't convert this thing about my gifts into a thing about you, right? Well, Pastor, I need room for my gifts. No, you use your gift. It'll make room for you. Trust me. 
Your gift, if you just start using it, it will make room for you. You just follow that the rest of your life. Trust me, you'll end up where God wants you to be. So invite the world is about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus to everyone, which is itself an invitation into the family of God. I phrase it that way because our job is not to convert people. You can't. Like I keep saying, you, can't, you don't have the power of creation. You cannot recreate someone and bring them into the family of God yourself. What you are called to do, what I am called to do, is to send out an invitation. Paul says, I, him we proclaim. That's a wonderful thing. He's just going around like, a, like one of those guys, hear ye, hear ye, right? And telling you what time it is or telling you the announcements in the loudspeaker. That's all he's doing. He's going around just putting out an invitation to everyone that will hear it inside the church and outside the church saying, Jesus is great. It's good news. And he's heralding it everywhere. And what he says is everybody has a part to play in that. Every single one of us. I think we need a heart of invitation. I think it's in the heart of our church. There's this hospitality, this welcoming thing. But that's not just we'll welcome you if you show up. It's let's go to the highways and the byways with invitations. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me show you. I'm going to demonstrate it by loving you and loving my friends and my family sacrificially with a way that just blows your mind. You're like, how do you love each other so well? And why do you love me this way? That is, the, that is what happens when we do things like the angel tree thing. As people feel this weird, like, you're a stranger, but you're blessing me. Like, what, why? What's the reason? That doesn't make sense. What do you get out of this? Well, it's not what I get out of it. It's what he gets out of it. It's not even about you. It's about him because he's amazing. And I would love it if you start worshiping him, if gratitude would overflow in your heart towards him and that you would give glory to him. Because when you do that, then my heart sings because I want what he wants. That's the mission. So next week, we'll look at three essential values of our church. So like I said, that's what we want to be like while we do these things, okay? What, what, what's, the, what's the vibe? Three essential vibes of Living Hope Church, right? How do we want to be? What kind of people do we want to be together? So why don't we stand up? I want to take a minute to pray. I want to ask God to turn our attention to his mission for this church. I really don't want this to be some kind of, uh, you know, like all your other New Year's resolutions. Not all of them. I'm sure some of you are amazing. And you lost that, you know, 50 pounds last year. Don't, some of y'all shaking your heads. Jeff's shaking his head. No, no. But, but I don't want it to be like that. I want us to, to get a burden from God that this is not just about me and mine. There's my gifts and what God's called me to do is not a small thing. It's not an inconsequential thing. It's a big thing. And the goal is not for me to build a nest for myself, kind of religious nest where the church becomes a cul-de-sac. I want this to be how we need an outlet. So I want to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do a transformation in our hearts, just like we want to see out there in the world. So let's do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do it. The Holy Spirit, we ask you right now, 
that you would come and lay a burden on our heart that is from you. And that you would be specific to each one of us. God, that you would stir up the gifts within us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to do that right now. God, that all the gifts, prophecy, administration, leadership, serving, mercy, teaching, every one of the spiritual gifts that they would be stirred up in this church. And God, I pray that by your spirit right now, you would give courage to those who have deemed themselves to be a dishonorable part of the body. A part of the body that's not needed. God, maybe because of things that have been said to them or things they say to themselves, weaknesses they have, being overlooked or rejected by other people. God, I pray right now that you would heal every one of those wounds that causes us to hesitate to do the thing that you've given us to do. God, for those that aren't clear about what their gifts are, God, I pray that you give them the courage to begin to experiment and try things. To see what you'll do through them. Just like Vic being just obedient to lay hands on somebody and pray. Just a simple prayer. And seeing transformation happen. God, I pray that you would give each one of us the courage to do that kind of stuff all the time with everyone. God, we want to be like your word tells us to be, which is people who toil for this one thing. God, I pray for Living Hope Church that you would, God, move people around and shuffle so that everybody's in the right position in the body, that the feet are where the feet should be, acting like feet. The knees are where they need to be, the hands, the ears, the eyes, every part where it needs to be and hard at work for you. God, at the end of the day, we want to see worshipers. We want your name to be glorified. So we turn our hearts to you right now. In the name of Jesus. Amen.